Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Thursday, February 25th here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe and healthy as we're here wrapping up uh, February 2021. Coming up today on the podcast is a really, really fun conversation I recorded earlier today with my uh, buddy Leo Klibanoff. Diehard 76ers fan. He's been on the podcast a couple times before. We did a whole NBA update talking about Eastern Conference, Western Conference, Sixers, Nets, teams be panicking, teams have patience for the Utah Jazz. Really, really fun conversation. We touched on a wide, uh, wide range of topics, wide range of teams. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking to Leo, so I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. So I'll hit the music and we come back with that conversation with my buddy Leo Klibanov from earlier today. All right, joining me on, on the line and on the double-double today is the student assistant basketball coach for the men's program at Wesleyan, the co-founder of the Positionless Perspective, a great Twitter account highlighting the X's and O's of Philadelphia 76ers basketball, and our die-hard 76ers fan, Leo Klibanoff. Leo, what's going on, man? Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be back. For sure. You know, it's it's been a... Week full of up and downs for you. You know, you're a diehard Philly sports fan. Trade Carson Wentz. But your team in the NBA is first in the East. I mean, like, just briefly walk me through just the emotions of the week. Yeah, I mean, we kind of knew Carson would be gone for a little bit. Uh, yeah. But it sucks. But I will say this. They won a Super Bowl with him on the team. They wouldn't have True. won it without him. And, you know, that's all that matters really in the end. But it sucks that they, uh, they've they got a terrible cap situation and have an old roster. But mm. the bright side is the Flyers, I don't watch, but they look pretty good. <laughs> the Phillies uh, have been making some big moves and yep. uh, Sixers are in first place. <laughs> yeah, so, so diving into the Sixers. The Sixers right now, we're recording this Thursday, February 25th. Uh, around 6 p.m. East Coast time. So the Sixers are tipping off in about an hour. As of our recording, they are 21-11, first in the Eastern Conference. They are averaging 114 points a game. Uh, this is a vastly different team than the one that ended the bubble in mid-August-ish or end of August. Uh, one, there's a healthy Ben Simmons. Uh, two, Daryl Morey, the new general manager, made a bunch of moves really not any, you would say, moves to the core of the roster with their two All-Stars, but all the surrounding pieces, getting rid of Al Horford, adding Seth Curry, uh, getting Danny Green. This is a vastly different team than the one that ended in the bubble where everyone was saying, we got to blow it up. Leo, you live and die with every trip up and down the, the court for the 76ers. Just what has your perspective been like on the team because I know that you have watched all four quarters of all 32 games so far. Sure. Um, so they came out of the bubble uh, getting sw- after getting swept by the Celtics. Um, pretty embarrassing. But they didn't have Simmons, so 
that's something to keep in mind. And they pretty much restructured their front office. Well, first they hired Doc Rivers. Um, they then restructured their front office. They get rid of some guys there. Um, and then they bring in Maury. So they make a lot of changes. Um, and then Maury comes in. He trades Al Horford immediately. Yep. Um, he drafts Tyrese Maxey. And he trades Josh Richardson for Seth Curry. Um, so now you've got this kind of a little bit of a different team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the bench is pretty similar. He signs Dwight Howard. Um, and you've got more spacing in the starting lineup. Um, you lose some defense. I'd say the talent level has probably decreased, but the overall fit is better. Um, so you get to this, you get to now, and you know the starting lineups around is point seventeen point two uh, points uh, per hundred possessions when they're on the floor together. Um, Which is good, and, people. That is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's elite, as they would say. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's probably one of the statistically one of the best starting lineups in the league. Um, and then you get to the bench, which has been super up and down. And the thing about Doc is, like, he loves, he always has, has, has like a, a first unit and second unit. Mm-hmm. So he runs his first unit together a lot, and then he runs his second unit for the time that the first unit's off the floor. And with this team, you've got. You know, Shake Millen, um, you've got Matisse Thibel, um, you Mike Scott sometimes, Dwight Howard, Tyrese Maxey sometimes, Furkan Korkmaz. You know, it's like any night you don't know what's really going to happen. Right, so right. it's been super inconsistent, and that's the part where they need work. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, they, all, they have been lately trying to stagger their lineups more, but it's tough because... Last year with Horford, um, you know, Ben could play with Horford because they had better spacing. He could shoot threes, face the floor. This year, you can't really run Ben with that second lineup because now he's with Dwight. And also, Thibault, you've got three non-shooters on the floor. The spacing's cramped. It really has not been a successful lineup this year. So it's they're trying to take that give and pull of how much we play our starters together. Do we stagger Embiid and Simmons? Like it's, it's kind of been up and down that way, but the starting line has been dominant and they've been a very good team in the clutch this year, which has been impressive. That's one of the great parts about the regular season is, Hey, you're, you're trying to win games and make it to the playoffs and get the right seating. But also you're using this time to figure out what your best lineups are for the playoffs where it really, really counts and it matters the most for Doc Rivers and and all these guys. And you mentioned fit and fit has been the question mark surrounding this entire team since Sam Hinkie was the GM and they went back to back to back drafts, taking Nerlens Noel, Embiid and Okafor taking three centers basically and everyone's saying, what are they doing? You know, it's the whole best player available uh, philosophy over team need and, and positional fit in the draft. And that's been clouded, too, once they added Ben Simmons, who, as you said, non-shooter uh, from the perimeter. Fantastic player. But that's been like the fit of like since since this team has basically come together with Embiid and Simmons, it's always been do they fit together? And. What I've been most impressed by, you know, we're going to touch on Embiid in a, in, in a second because he's making a real push for the MVP, is Ben Simmons this year, 
I don't know what it is. You, you probably know it better than I do because you just watch more games. But he just looks way more in control and confident in what his role is with what Doc is asking him. Now, I don't know if that's just because it's a change of voice from uh, Brett Brown to Doc Rivers, but it seems like he's more accepting of what his role is, of facilitating the offense, cutting, screening, because when you watch them play, he draws attention from defenders any time that, that he's in a threatening zone on the court. Now, he's not a threat from three, but... If he's driving to the rim, if he's around the basket, someone has to guard him because he's really, really good. He's he's the one who I've been the most impressed by based on where they ended last year just because it's like we didn't know, shooting-wise, we didn't know if he would ever develop it, and, and he hasn't yet, but it's like can he do everything else to make himself really, really valuable? And he's also doing on the defensive end where – I think he's the defensive player of the year so far. Yeah. Um, so Ben had a really slow start. Yeah. I think a lot of it had to do with a change of coaching staff and know where when he needs to attack and know where he needs to be on the floor. Um, and ever since like the fourth quarter of that second Celtics game where he went off and kind of sealed that victory, yeah, he he's been on a tear since. I don't have the stats in front of me, but like. He first of all, he's getting to the line a lot, and that's for me the most important thing. He's converting a lot; it's got to be upward seventy percent. Yeah, um, and he's attacking in transition, kind of like Giannis, like no fear of two defenders. Uses his strength, uses his body control, and he's getting to the rim and he's finishing. And it's it's the most aggressive I've probably ever seen Ben. And yeah, yeah so it's, yeah, so like the last ten games, he's averaging twenty two points, nine rebounds, seven you know, almost eight assists a game. And as you said, 63% shooting and 75% from the free throw line. Like that one quarter, because I remember watching that game and it was like the classic Ben Simmons has what, like four points going to the fourth quarter. You're like, how, how is he involved? This is, this is like, this is what he always does. He does, he, you know, once they play someone good, he, he shrinks, he doesn't rise to the occasion, but He's a guy where you actually where you really have to watch the games to really understand all of the things that that he does because he's such a dynamic defender and it's just like as you said the, the little things of he can have these explosions of quick four six points in in transition attacking the basket like he's a guy who's going to make you pay if one he's aggressive which he has been and two if you slip up on pick and roll coverage, anything like that, uh, he's been incredibly impressive this this whole season. And as you said, the last ten games too. Yeah, his defense has been stellar as ever. Um, he's probably the most versatile defender in the NBA and the best perimeter defender at the same time. Yeah. So every, when you have those two things, like it's a, like you go into any matchup at night, and like tonight he's going to guard Luca. Yep. Other night he's going to guard Siakam, like or Anthony Davis, incredible. like right two incredibly different players and still going to lock them both up. It's, it's such a tool that doc and his staff have at their disposal. That really makes them, I think one of the top five defenses. I haven't checked in a little bit in the NBA. He's, we're going to talk about this team in a second, but, but projecting out, he's a guy who, if you're playing the bucks, right, he could start the game on Giannis and then switch on to drew holiday and switch on to Brooke Lopez 
no issues. Same thing with the Nets. He'll probably start on, on Durant, but he could switch on to Kyrie, and you feel comfortable in that match because he's so good. And also, when you have a rim protector the way an interior force like Joel Embiid, it makes playing defense on the perimeter easier as well because you know that you you can take a couple more chances and you have a force behind you defending the rim. Like Embiid has been awesome this whole season on defense and offensively he's averaging 30 points a game, 11 rebounds. He must get to the free throw line like 15 times a game. Like every time you, you look up on the screen, he's shooting more free throws. Joel Embiid is my MVP on February 25th, 2021. Yeah, he's mine too as well. Yeah. I don't think it's particularly close, um, but he's the front runner for sure. I think his case this year is like he, he's gotten so much better in, in both isolations and from the mid range. He's shooting like a crazy 60% from 16 feet to three point range. He's got a 65% true shooting percentage. He's shooting 40% from three. He's more selective about, about it. And he's been really good just, like, in ISO, like, in transition. They're yeah. really, like, they're, de- they're delay five out, and, like, he'll run the offense. He'll get a hezzy he pull-up. Like, it, it, that's where he's gotten really good. Um, you know, where he hasn't been good is he's better at handling double teams, but he's still not great. Um, yeah. That's still the number one area, and he's never going to be, like, a good role man, but that doesn't really matter. But he, he has to get better at handling double teams, and, like, you saw it versus the Raptors. Like, he... They aggressively doubled on the flight of the ball, and he did. He had his two worst games of the season. Like, mm-hmm. um, but other than that, he's been exceptional. You can't you can't play him single coverage. He's going to score every single time. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and also you you mentioned you know it it seems apparent more so about his struggles against the against double teams because one he's so good and been such a dominant force. He's getting doubled a lot this season. And and two, now that you guys have shooters around him and Seth Curry, who's shooting like 45% again, Danny Green, who's one of the cl- biggest, clutchest three-point shooters in NBA history, uh, you know, you have these, these sh- Shake Milton can catch and shoot threes, Cormaz, you have these guys, you know, Tobias, if he feels like shooting, right? You have these shooters where... It feels like you're you're always like, hey, if he if he makes a good pass and a good read, we're getting a great chance for th- for three points, and it will be interesting to see because teams in the playoffs, I think, and we're going to talk about some teams that you guys could match up against, are going to double Embiid and force Tobias Harris, force Danny Green, force him to keep making those passes to Shake Milton and Cormouse, and make them make shots in in the playoffs, and if they do. And B's just get more one-on-one opportunities, and he's going to dominate. Yeah, that, that, I mean, by the playoffs, they're going to be able to scheme heavily against his uh, against him in the post. Um, I mean, he's got it. If they aggressively double, and he he can't even look to shoot. He, it's the quickest way to create an advantage if they throw him to the ball in the post and he gets it right out. Like yeah. the defensively scrambling, like he has to throw it every time. The way they're probably going to double in the playoffs. And. And also, you know, you can throw Simmons in there too. Simmons can set a screen. Like people forget, Ben Simmons is enormous. He's like six ten, strong. He can set screens to free guys up. He can dive to the rim. 
because uh, someone has to guard him, otherwise he's going to dunk it. You know, he Ben Simmons can can be a big threat when Embiid gets the ball in the post and and gets double teamed because looking ahead at, at at the rest of the East, the Brooklyn Nets are probably their their biggest threat right now for the East. They obviously made the big trade for James Harden. They're twenty one and twelve, second in the East. Come, they're on a seven game winning streak, but they don't have any centers. Uh yes, they have DeAndre Jordan, but Joel Embiid can dominate Jordan, and also he may not even be on, on the court in their best lines where it feels like Durant's playing the five a lot or Jeff Green, and both of those guys, uh, I don't think can be that successful against Joel Embiid guarding him one on one. For a seven-game series, yeah, I think Brooklyn's clearly the most uh, the team that she's scared about the most, and I think Philly's case is like you said, like they can't guard Embiid. I think number two is Philly's going to have to have a heavy dose of thigh in the playoffs against yeah. them. Um, like if you're going to be able to have Ben, Danny, and Matisse to guard. Kyrie, James, and Durant. That's a that's a, probably a win for the Sixers because on offense, as much as Matisse is a negative, like Brooklyn's defense, it, it probably won't matter as much as it does versus the Raptors or the Celtics or you know the Bucks. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the two areas where that like we can probably guard them better than the, unless not as good as the Lakers, but and the, maybe the Clippers, but better top three because we can throw out green Simmons and Thibault lineups and obviously Embiid's going to dominate unless they get a uh, center at the buyout or two deadline. Yeah. So the Nets have the highest point per game offense, in the NBA at just over 121, which is just ridiculous, but they also have the second worst defensive point per game in the league where they're giving up on average 117 points per game. Uh, not good defense, and and it's it's bizarre too because this season's been weird to begin with. Where just with the how soon the season started, once they got the green light, you have the COVID main issue of health and safety protocols, guys in and out of lineup, natural injuries. It makes sense, especially when you make such a big trade for James Harden, where they gave up a lot of guys on the roster. Haven't had a lot of practice time, right? Where they could do four straight days of shell drill the way that the 2010 Miami Heat did in training camp, right? But the weird part about it is you're watching the games and you're watching them not be able to guard anybody. And party is like, I don't think it matters because their office yeah. is so good. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I mean, I think their defense has gotten a little bit better as of late. I think mm-hmm. Bruce Brown's helping them out a lot. Yeah. And especially when he splurges on offense like he did, I think, last night or the other night. Um, their defense is getting better. I think it'll keep getting better by the playoffs. I don't think it'll be good enough where it compares to other championship-level defenses. Like, they need to have an average defense. Yeah. And just an insane offense to go far, which, it's I mean, it's possible. Um, so... Yeah, I think they're they're and they need another center to be able to get past Philly and mm-hmm. Milwaukee. 
they definitely need a center. And, and, you know, the rumor is Andre Drummond, who the Cavs have basically decided not to play until they work out a trade for him. Andre Drummond is an incredibly effective player stats-wise. He'll score, he'll rebound really, really well, but he's not that tall. He's big and strong, but I don't know how tall he is to really match up against Embiid or how shifty he is to be able to guard a guy like Giannis. But it's been the Nets are fascinating. They're the, by far the most interesting team in the whole NBA. I've talked about this because they trade for Harden, right? And everyone says, oh, well, one basketball for these three guys. Harden and Kyrie have had histories of potentially ball hogging habits. And I was the, one of the guys who was making all the one, there's only one basketball jokes. It seemed like they figured it out pretty quickly because there was that, that one game where Kyrie basically just said, yeah, James Harden's the point guard and I'm the shooting guard. Like, it was weird how quickly they solved that issue or quote-unquote issue. And they just, Kevin Durant looks like he's fully back, which is great. Uh, we'll see how, how he can do in the playoffs as well once he just gets more intense, more intense. Uh but this is a team that's by far the most interesting in the whole NBA, and they will be because they're winning seven games in a row. They're beating good teams at the West, beating the like the Lakers. And yet part of you quest- questions all this because they have staked so much into this season. It's all about the playoffs for, for them. It's all about the playoffs and as we mentioned it, they need to make a couple more roster moves because they need an, another center and Look, if Bruce Brown gives them the offense that he's been giving them the rest of the season and into the playoffs, they'll win the championship. But they need someone else to rely on, I think, with a little more playoff experience than than Bruce Brown. Like, you know, <laughs> this could sound funny, but like Danny Green would be perfect for this team. Yeah, I also think that they need playing time together. Yeah. How many games have they played? Five, four, six? Like, not a not- lot. You need chemistry, uh, you, like you, especially on a team like this, where you got to figure out where guys want to be in their spots, where they want the ball. Like, like that's a big thing. I and mean, they they got to play more. And Katie's probably going to sit out more games this year. You never know with Kyrie. Harden probably will play the rest because he's just a he plays every game every year. Yeah, <laughs> but they got to play more. They have to play more, and then also just defensively. What's what's really interesting about the three of them is Durant is a good defender. I don't know how great of a defender he is just because when you have so much to do offensively, sometimes, you know, you don't take plays off, but you conserve some things on defense. But ever since he went to Golden State, his defense has gone up a whole nother level. I think he's a a very good defender. James Harden and Kyrie Irving have good defensive plays and good defensive areas and moments. Like Harden is a great one-on-one post defender, super, super strong, but he has so many reps of it from being attacked on, on defense for so many years in the playoffs in the post that he's gotten really good at it. And Kyrie has quick hands and and he's able to, uh, to get a few steals, but I don't know if they have, it's all going to be about timing, right? Like, can they get the stops at the end of games in the playoffs when, as it always does, it's like five or less points in the last three or four minutes. 
can they get the stops and enough stops for four rounds to beat all these crazy teams. I found it funny. Like, I feel like whenever we talk about like a bad defender, it's always like, yeah, but they have quick hands. They get yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, like, I mean, like, look, I think, I think it's proven Kyrie Irving is a basketball. I don't want to say genius, because I don't think he is. I think there's only a couple geniuses in the NBA basketball. It's like LeBron and Jokic. But mm-hmm. he has a very high basketball IQ. I just find that when Kyrie is locked in and engaged, he he has moments where it's like if he's really locked in, he'll he'll just be in the right spot to get a steal or, or something. But yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm not a huge Kyrie guy, but uh, they have defensive holes. And Joe Harris is going to get attacked a lot in the playoffs, even though he's shooting 50% from three. You know, they're going to try to get him on Joel Embiid. It's not to say Joe Harris is a bad defender. It's the best players in the world are just looking for a little bit of, of an edge. And the edge just an advantage wide is just a little bit more when it's Joe Harris guarding someone instead of Jeff Green or Kevin Durant. Like, that's just the way that the NBA works. And I've been super impressed with Steve Nash this whole year too. Really, really tough year to, to not just coach a new team the way Doc Rivers is really, really tough year to start your coaching career in general. Then to make a trade that basically trades like half your roster away a month in, uh, I've been really impressed by Nash. And, and I think that, uh, he's still one of the weak spots going forward, but, I've been really impressed with him. Yeah, I don't know who we're talking about, though. Are you talking about Nash or D'Antoni? Well, it helps that he has D'Antoni. I mean, I feel like, I, like they, they switch one through five most of the times. Yeah. Just like Houston did. Their offense is, you know, five out most of the times and, you know, kind of ISO or sometimes pick and pick roll when you got De- DeAndre and they're like, I mean, what am I, am I watching the Rockets or am I watching the, the, <laughs> the, the Nets? I don't know. It's a great question. I we will see what they do. This is not a complete roster, uh, so we'll see what they do. They will be active. So if you're a Nets fan, make sure you have your Twitter notifications on for any Woj bombs or sham bombs. Uh, we're, we're gonna play a, a game here. We're gonna do this as we talk about the Eastern Conference teams. And we're gonna do it when we talk about the Western Conference teams in a second. It's called Panic or Patience. Boston Celtics, fifteen and seventeen, ninth in the Eastern Conference, not in the playoffs. If you are a Celtics fan, are you panicking or are you preaching patience? Uh, I'm going to say panic, but I looked this up today, and their big four of Smart, Walker, Brown, and Tatum have only played 28 minutes together. Yeah. Um, so that's the side I kind of – I'm still going panic, but I was a little bit lean towards patience there, but I mean – even so, if Smart's out and Kemba doesn't, Kemba's not back 100 percent, and he's not playing back to backs. Like they w- were winning in the beginning of the year, like they should still be winning a lot of these games. Maybe they're not a top four team in the East; they're five or six, but they're playing like a bottom five team in the East. Um, so I'll go panic. I'm on patience. The difference between fifth and ninth in the East is like one game. Because uh, I think the Raptors are fifth and they're sixteen and seventeen. Uh, they got, as you said, twenty eight minutes together with the with the top four. They got hit by Kemba had some type of knee procedure or knee recovery where 
if the season started when it felt like all the players thought it would started, uh, we wouldn't have known about it. And he wouldn't have missed a lot of games. Uh, Tatum tests positive for, for COVID and he's out. And he said that he's also, now that he's back, he's still kind of feeling some, some lingering side effects from, from COVID. So, so we don't know how close he is to 100% or really how much that's affecting him. But he was out for a couple weeks, two and a half, three weeks. Jalen Brown's playing incredible, or sorry, he's playing incredibly well. He's averaging like 25 points a game, all-star, awesome player. But when you have your all-star point guard miss a bunch of games, your best player miss a bunch of games from from COVID and still isn't 100% back yet, what did you think was going to happen, right? Like you're 15, 17, 9th in the East, but before the season, and this has been bugging me the whole season, this is a mini rant. Before the season, we were all like, this is a pandemic. It's going to be weird. We're not going to overreact to things during the regular season because of health and safety protocols. Like, like what if LeBron gets COVID and the Lakers lose like eight games in a row? Are we going to freak out because they start the playoffs as the sixth seed? No, it's just like that's just a part of playing in, in the pandemic. So then when Tatum tests positive and the Celtics are struggling, everyone's now freaking out. Like Bill Simmons doing podcasts, talking about like how worried and concerned he is. <laughs> All these rumors about trades and what they're doing and his age on the hot seat. Like it's patience. Wait till the all-star break. If the week after the all-star break, they're still not in the top eight panic. But right now patience for at least a couple more weeks. Sure. I mean, I think also wait, for the trade deadline, like Ainge has yeah. something up his sleeve. Like they well, got that big trade exception. Um, Ainge is going to do something. It's just a matter of what. Eventually, he will make a big trade. Eventually, but I don't they're, know. They're always they're always close though. As he the, says, they're always you know just a little. They're always just getting beat out by other teams. But yeah, they don't want to include Terry Rozier this time. <laughs> Next team, the Miami Heat. 15 and 17, eighth in the East. They're a little bit like Boston, got hit with COVID, some injuries. Jimmy's only played 20 games so far. Drogic's only played 18. Are you panicking or preaching patience? Yeah, patience. Um, I was big on Miami before the season. Mm -hmm. I think some people were like, yeah, it was like bubble bubble kind of bias. Like, yeah. I think what we saw with them was super impressive. Um, offensively and defensively. Um, maybe, I mean, they got hit by COVID bad. They've had a lot of bad injuries, and now they're starting to play really well. Like, they're 7-3 and three their last 10. Um, Jimmy's playing great. Band's playing great. Um, patience. I think I think they've got a great coach. They're going to figure it out. I agree with you. I think it's patience, as you said. You know, they're not sneaking up on anybody anymore. No one's taking them, you know, not that anyone takes anyone lately in, in the NBA, but... Uh, they're bringing it every time Miami comes to town or you're going to Miami because uh, they're the reigning Eastern Conference champions. I do think it helps too slightly for, or it hurts them slightly because of the pandemic and all the NBA rules teams coming to Miami guys aren't allowed to go out in Miami, which is like, like, you know, they're in the hotels, you know, maybe they're a little bit more rested. I, I think that may be, Two percent more difficult for them to win at home. You know, not huge. Not yeah. saying it's like the reason why they're losing or lost any home games, but it could be a one to two percent re- reason. If you are going to panic about this team, 
it's that you didn't trade for James Harden. That would be yeah. my my one area of uh, concern is that they didn't make the move. Yeah, I think definitely that. Um, I think number two that they, they don't know who their four is. Like they they I think they're they're going with Kelly O. Yeah. For the rest of the year, I don't like that. I don't like. I he was kind of incredible in the bubble, just like hit every shot. But like he still came off the bench. Like I don't think he's going to be able to play defense at high level enough in the playoffs uh, or ever really rely on it to hit threes in the playoffs. Um, yeah. Like they, they lost they lost Crowder. I think that was a big loss. Yeah, they, they lost Crowder in what felt like his 85% three-point shooting in <laughs> in the Orlando bubble. Yeah, th- this is a team, hey, they're going to figure it out, and they're, they're going to make a move. It's it's unclear who necessarily is available, but uh, Pat Riley, the godfather, always has something up his sleeve. The Washington Wizards, 11-18, 13th in the East. They got hit by probably the worst COVID outbreak in the league. Uh I'm a full-on panic if I'm the the Wizards. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm fully panicked. Um, yeah, you know, I've I've got a roommate here who's a <laughs> who's a Wizards fan, and so we watch a lot of the Wizards, and it, it, it's panic a lot. They they're kind of been hot a little lately, but you know, we watch a lot of Westbrook <laughs> mid-range jumpers that clank off. Yeah, we, uh, it's it's not it's not pretty watching them. You know, you've got Brad, and then not a lot after that and it's panic it's panic because you made the the move for westbrook to pair with bradley beal you know COVID happens they they had the outbreak they lost a bunch of games had a bunch of games canceled and postponed but if if i make the move for for russell westbrook to pair with bradley beal then you have two all-stars i think i'm at least in the top seven in in the east Right, like not even in the yeah. in yeah, they should be a top eight team for sure. Yeah, and so I think I think it's time to trade Bradley Beal because now let me give you the the case. Six or seven years ago, you couldn't get a first round pick for almost anybody or any trade. Right, it would be highly right. highly protected. Teams protected these things like you know, institutional secret knowledge of their uh, or organizations. Right. Now, partially because of Daryl Morey figuring out the market inefficiency, teams are giving up these first-round picks. You know, they can't give them away fast enough, right? Bradley Beal will, will command – if he will command, at, I think, at least four first-round picks. Like, if Drew Holiday was three firsts and two swaps and two players – and James Harden was like five first and two swaps or whatever it was, four picks, three swaps, like whatever it was. Beal's somewhere in the mix there. I think it's time to trade him because teams will eventually start to value their first-round picks again and just embrace being bad in a year where no one can go to the games anyway. You're not you're not going to lose ticket revenue because you're not going to have any, basically. And just just be bad because this is a good draft. They could get a really good player in Cade Cunningham or Jalen Suggs or a couple of the the G League guys, Green, Kuminga. You know, good players. So here here's my case for why they shouldn't. Okay. Um, I think I think which will happen. They not 
be like mostly every other team in the NBA, which says, nope, we're not trading our star player. They should be like, okay, let's do it. Just how like um, the Thunder did with Paul George. Yeah. You know, they, they, they did it. They didn't, no one knew about it and they got massive return. I think that's how they should do it. Um, but I think they should keep Brad. And um, if he doesn't request a trade, I'm saying like, they're not good as is like, they're probably going to get a good pick with mm-hmm. this team. Like, why not go into the lottery with good odds? Because um, this team's not good. Um, get lucky. Get one of these top three guys, Green or Cunningham. Like, and after if they get one of those guys, then you've got a chance to be like, hey, Brad, like, this is it. Like, we got our guy. We have you. You know, we're going to try and get Russ back to his old self. Like, we're going to go for it. And, that's why I think they should uh, keep Brad. But if he doesn't like put it. it out, go for it. Look, that's that's very fair to say. Look, why are we tanking, or why should we trade Brad to tank when we already are in a tank spot by not intentionally tanking? You know, like they're trying to win, but it hasn't gone their way this year to a bunch of things kind of out of their control. I, I think that's a very astute point of saying, hey, they they, they might be able to get a top four pick if they play out the rest of the season with, with their normal roster. Uh, I I don't know. It, it's, it's so tough too. Cause like, look, if someone comes in and offers six first round picks for, for Bradley Beal, like, it's almost like, how do you, like, how do you say no? You, right. Like it's, it's going to be tough because someone's going to come in and maybe it'll be Boston. Eventually they will, they will not come close and they will just, blow away the field with a with a trade one, offer one first yeah <laughs> he's just gonna come out and say hey, we we are one first pick away we, we didn't want to give it up exactly so speaking of danny ainge he went to byu utah the best team in the nba the 26 and 6 utah jazz first in the west first in the nba best point differential they are a really, really fun team to watch. Uh, great league pass team. The way they pass, move the ball, guard, defend. Donovan Mitchell's been awesome. Rudy Gobert's been awesome. It's been interesting because, obviously, Gobert shut down the NBA and really changed the way that the America, at least, viewed COVID last March when he tested positive. Then Donovan Mitchell tested positive. And we read two months of stories because when there was nothing going on, once we were once we knew that they were you know, going to be okay about how their relationship was beyond fractured. Now they have the best roster or not, not best roster, the best record in the NBA. It's been awesome to, to watch and really surprising based on where they were a year ago, April. Yeah. They're, they're joy to watch. They take an insane amount of threes. They take an insane amount of mid range or not mid range. Yep. These cor- corner threes. Um, and their defense is just built around Gobert. They mm-hmm. funnel everything towards him, and he's standing up as he sh- and he, like he's playing. And they've got the, the second rank defense, as you would expect. Like they're 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 really good and they're really fun to watch. And they're just they let it fly. They have good ball movement. No one's everyone's got good confidence. I don't think people understand how difficult it is to take the number of corner threes that they take. Because NBA defenses are designed around preventing open corner threes because 
the end the way the NBA court is for any listeners who don't know, it's that it's not like college. The three point line isn't the same all the way around. It's varying distances. And so it's the shortest shot that's worth the most points on the court. All great offenses are built around trying to get open drive and kick th- corner threes. Great defenses are built around trying to limit open corner threes. It's insane how good they are. And it all starts with the way that they pass, the way that they move the ball. Conley, Ingles, Bogdanovich move the ball really well. And then they also have dynamic scores in Donovan Mitchell. And I thought he stunk. I didn't understand why teams kept wanting him and kept trading for him. But Jordan Clarkson has been the biggest surprise of the last two seasons to me. And my view on him has completely and utterly changed from when from when he was in Los Angeles and when he was in Cleveland. He's gotten so much better. And I think, I, I don't know if he's starting or is going to come off the bench for enough games, but he's the sixth man of, of the year to me. Yeah, and back to the, they take 12.4% of their, shot, their threes from the corner, which is yeah. like insane. Um, and yes, to, to your point, you were just saying, Jordan Clarkson's the, the sixth man of the year, no doubt about it. Like, this this dude is not afraid to shoot. It, like, they, they needed this guy last year. They traded for him because their bench kind of stunk. And he just came in and provided instant offense. Like, yeah, he's not just providing instant offense. Like, he is their offense at times. Like, he's just going and he's not afraid. And it's insane. Like, I, I agree with you. Like, he was not a good player before, and he's really good now. Like, if this Jordan Clarkson was on the 2018 Cavs and we're playing the Warriors, they win at least one, maybe two games against the Warriors team. They don't. They probably don't win the championship because yeah, that Warriors right. team was, you know, beyond in- incredible. But uh, they, they probably win one or two games. Uh, it's look and and Quinn Snyder has done a fantastic job. You know, people always say you know, fantastic job by the coach when when they're off to a great start. Which is, it is difficult to coach a team where you have so many scores or guys who should be taking more shots. You know, Ingles, Bogdanovich, Mitchell, Gobert, Clarkson, Conley. Those are six guys right there who probably on different teams could all be the first or second option, right? And But he's getting them all to buy into this team-oriented uh, pass, cut, move, open shot, pass if someone has a better shot style of play. And that part has been the, the most impressive to me is the not all the X's and O's, but how he's managing the roster and the personality and the ego of this Utah Jazz team. Yeah, I agree. Going flipping over to a place a little bit warmer than Utah right now is the Phoenix Suns. They are twenty and eleven, fourth in the Western Conference. What are your thoughts on on Phoenix? They're good. Like, mm-hmm. they they're they're legit. Um, I think because he can fill his hole on defense. Like, I think a problem with the Blazers as a team is like their backcourt's not good defensively, and that's why they're never going to be a good defensive team. But like with Paul, like they can they fill up books hole on defense, and then they've just got in general like like it's a it's a well rounded team. You look at this team, like oh, I mean, like it makes sense on the court. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, 
I think the one hole they're missing is like a backup center. They're running Dario at center a lot, mm-hmm. um, and it's just not. It, it's been slight kind of effective, but I don't think it's reasonable to think that that's their route to go throughout for the rest of the year. It's it's funny, you know, two three years ago, everyone was saying the center position in the NBA is dead. Right, partially because everyone was trying to beat the Warriors and they had all these wings and guards hitting all these threes, unbelievable. Then the Lakers win the title last year with a combination of Davis, Dwight Howard, and JaVale McGee all playing center. And now everyone's like, well, you need a center to 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 compete. Jokic with the Western Conference Finals. I think that's one really interesting. As you mentioned, this is a well-rounded roster and they've kind of gone through their own process uh, the way that everyone talked about the the Sixers, because they were in the draft. They were at the top of the draft a lot. They get their all-star in Devin Booker. They miss on a bunch of other players. They hit on the first pick and take Aiton. You know, you, you can you can say, hey, you should have taken Doncic, but it's not like Aiton has turned out to be a bust in any way. He's been very, very, very good. Uh, sure. So now you have Booker, Aiton. They have the resources and assets to draft or to sorry to to trade for a Chris Paul to sign a Jay Crowder they took chances on McCall Bridges or sorry Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson who you know Bridges people wish could have been in Philly he was a very college player Johnson people were stunned that they took so early they took a chance on Still yeah took, took a chance on Sarge but they've all been especially Bridges awesome players they you could you you could push Philly for who who had the best process. It's like East process versus West process. Yeah, I mean they they were not bad on purpose. Like they were just bad for a while. Yeah, um, they didn't um, do the I mean, abject t- tanking, but they were just bad. You wonder how this team is once CP retires, whenever that time is. Yeah. Um, but like they don't have, I don't think they have that top tier star level as like Philly does. Like true. you've got, you need a top five NBA player to win a championship. And Very true. I don't think they're close to that. Like Book's really good. Like he's really good. And eight, I'm not an in guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think they have that top tier talent to win a championship, and that's why you tank. That's probably true. But to to your credits, Chris Paul. Chris Paul, the, the argument always used to go that LeBron could take any team to the finals. Chris Paul, I believe, can take any team to a top four regular season finish. Like, he's just that good. It's been brutal. He's had to play in the West his whole career. If he was in the East one season, I think he may make the finals. Uh, the biggest question mark surrounding this team, though, and, and I think we have to bring it up, is Devin Booker and Kendall Jenner are dating. Uh are, is there any concern about uh, the Jenner Kardashian curse on this team? Scale of one to ten, ten being the most. I'm at like a six point five. Only six point five. I gotta yeah. go eight. Like, eight. The, the, like, the sample size is too large at this point. Like, come, like what? What are we looking at here? Like, it, she's at the games now. She's on. She's posted on the team on Instagram. Like, it's the sample size. Like, she has anyone done anything when they're with her? Well, look, the the sample size in general of the, the Jenner Kardashians dating NBA players, as you mentioned, we it, 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 there's there's a lot of it, but small sample size in this r- relationship. So that's why I'm only at a six and a half. Mm, okay, 
Okay. We'll see how it goes. We'll, we'll see. That, that's the biggest concern surrounding the whole Phoenix Suns organization is this curse and trying to break the curse, which, based on every sports movie ever, brings teams together and maybe they'll win the championship. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Panic or Patience Western Conference Edition. Los Angeles Lakers. 22 and 11, third in the West, but reigning, reigning champions. But Anthony Davis has a calf slash Achilles injury. He'll be out several weeks, and they're on a four game losing streak. Panic or patience? Yeah, it's patience. Yeah. Um, we'll see how AD's Achilles injury is, but if he's back to AD when he's back, like, they're, they're still the favorites in the West. Yeah. Um their de- their defense is so good. Um and they have LeBron and they have AD. So I I mean they've got a skid going on but they're also playing tough teams and they don't have their second best player, their rim protector, like their best their best defensive player like it's patience. I may as sl- the slightest of slight panic. Because okay. LeBron is playing 38 minutes a game, which mm-hmm. eventually, right, yep. will catch up to him. Yep. I know that he's the greatest athlete in the NBA, maybe even ever to walk the planet Earth. But eventually, at his age, playing this many minutes for the whole regular season and the whole playoffs will catch up to him. 100% agree. Anthony Davis has had a lot of these types of injuries over the years of these weird muscle sprains and strains, like no real major, major injuries, but always like a strain this, a pull this, and aggravated that. And he needs to be healthy for them to win the championship because he's one of the five best players in, or six best players in the entire world. That's not like, like having him on the floor makes them incredible. And... Those are the two things that I would be the slightest of slight panic about, which is one, how healthy is Davis and will he be able to be for the long haul? Like was last year an aberration because he got the four months of the pandemic pause to recover and just, you know, can can he stay healthy enough to, to win the championship in a traditional quote unquote normal schedule? And just LeBron's minutes, even though he says it's not a problem and doesn't bother him, eventually it will be a problem because even though Tom Brady's like 75 years old and winning Super Bowls, he's not running at this as much as LeBron is or taking the amount of hits. Yeah, they've also had no Schroeder recently. Yeah, kind of slept under the rug, slept under the rug. Yeah, um, but yeah, Schroeder's with LeBron, I, I uh, agree with LeBron 100. percent Like. He, I think he wants to play because he wants this MVP. But the way they're, I don't think they're gonna. Well, uh, uh, yeah, I just don't with AD out. I don't know if it's able to be possible. Yeah, it's to to be seen. This is a this is a check in after the All Star break to see if we can go back to favorites for the championship or raising the panic meter. Dallas Mavericks, fifteen and fifteen, ninth in the West. They dealt with COVID this this season. Poor Zingas missing the first nine games with uh, recovering from his knee injury. Then him coming back and working back into the lineup. There are now rumors of them shopping KP. There's been some issues and concerns about Luka Doncic's leadership ability uh, and his body language. Are you panicking or 
our patience in what is now the frigid Texas climate? I'm going to go patience. Interesting. Uh, interesting. I think, like you said, like they had a lot of COVID issues. They had KP still come back from an injury. I think they they traded a lot of offense, or they got rid of a lot. Like they got rid of Seth. Yeah. They brought in Richardson. They brought in James Johnson. They brought in. They drafted Josh Green. Like they went in on defense. It has not paid off so far. But I will throw this out there: they're twenty fourth in defense when KP's on the floor, and it, it's no. I they're they're last. I'm wrong. They're last in defense when KP's on the floor by two full points. Oh boy. And they're top five with him off the floor. Yikes. <laughs> it's not good, but I think, like, he, I don't. I never thought he's a good defender, but he can be better than this. So I'm waiting for him to be better. Mm. And, like, they're going to figure it out. Like, Luca's so good. He's starting to hit threes now. They're seven and three in the last ten. I think they're going to figure it out. They're getting the chemistry. Josh Richardson's there to play defense. Once KP picks up his defense, better. He's not a great defender, but better. I think they're going to be good enough. Not great, but better than they are. My issue with Dallas, and, and I'm surprised that, that you're preaching patience. I thought you would have been panicking because I also am in, in patience, but I'm running out of patience, is <laughs> Luca is a transcendent generational talent, generational player. Uh, he will go down if he stays healthy, obviously, as one of the true, true, true all-time greats in the game of basketball. He's he's that good. Um, I don't understand. I understand defense wins championships, and you need to have a better defense, but they had the best offense in the history of the NBA last year. I don't understand why they didn't try running that back more. And then also now I understand, you know, their defense is bad, right? It's it's not great. And it's also hurting their offense because Luca, while he's a 32 to 34% three-point shooter, which isn't that great for the amount that he takes, the floor shrinks a lot when, when he isn't hitting threes and he's playing with Josh Richardson, who's in the 20s from, from three. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, Kleba, who I like and I would trade for immediately if I was a GM because I think he brings great energy, great athlete, defender, a lot of stress oh. after at the playoffs last year guarding Paul George and Kawhi. But he's not a great three-point shooter either. There's not a lot of room to operate. That's why Porzingis is so important to, to space the floor. I don't understand why they don't play Boban more. Like Starting he, tonight. He is good because he's one of the most efficient offensive players in the league. He's humongous. He's like 7'4". Teams at least have to think about him. Look, he's a negative defensively. He's going to hurt you defensively. But you already can't be worse in the NBA than than what they are with with Porzingis. Like, they're already bad on defense. Why don't they just try with the Nets model and just say, like, look, the best defense is a good offense. Like, we're just going to score more because we have Doncic, we have Porzingis, and we have these other guys who, who are going to score. Like, it worked for them last year. They made the playoffs. Yeah. I, I, sure, I think you could try Bill Bond. Like, I don't think it's a long-term solution, though. Like, yeah. He, you're, he's not really playable in the playoffs. He, 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 you put him in a pick-and-roll with a guy that can pick and pop, and he's done. Like, 
it sure it might help in the short term, but they should be more concerned about the long run. That's true, but to play devil's advocate, you put in Boban in a pick and roll on reverse or get him in a post up, he shoots like sixty plus percent. He's seven four. Who's guarding him? Right? Like he right. he can set a mean screen to get Luka Doncic space. Like, you know, obviously if you pick and pop with him and Davis Bertons or Duncan Robinson, it's gonna be a long night. Yeah. But he can guard some, you know, backup centers. He can battle with sure. uh Harrell on on the Lakers. So I'm I'm running out of patience. Like I wanna I understand this is what they're trying to do. They're winning some games. I I also just miss seeing the explosive offense and Luca at his best. So I'm I'm probably just a little more frustrated about that. Last team here in panic or patience. Last team we're gonna talk about the Pelicans of New Orleans. 14 and 17, 11th in the West. Uh, a lot of hype because of Zion. A lot of pauses around this team. A bunch of negatives. Are you panicking or preaching patience? So this season, I'm going to go panic. Um, I hate their roster. Like, yeah, I, like, I, I agree. I, I, I like David Griffin as GM. I hate this roster. Like Steven Adams makes no sense to me. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, no sense. Sure, Lonzo, whatever. I'm not an Ingram guy, but sure. Okay. I, like, I, hate, I hate this roster, and I love Zion. So like they're really bad defensively. Um, really bad. They, like, yeah, like, well, let's look at it right now. They and, and, are and, and also, 29th. And also, Stan Van Gundy is supposed to be a good defensive coach. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, you're 100%. Like, I'm, I don't think they're making the playoffs. They might make the play-in because Zion's that good. And I'm panicking this year. But they have a, a boatload of picks. And I think they can make stuff happen next year's i have two words for you leo and one name bradley beal this this is the bradley beal team to me because as you said they have the picks from the lakers and their own picks to make a move right they have young players who washington could theoretically be interested in in lonzo you know i like josh hart josh hart uh you could trade them J.J. Redick to get the salaries off his book and just have uh, Washington wave him so he can be a free agent and sign probably with Brooklyn or Philly for the for the playoff push. Uh, they can make the salaries work. They have the picks. They have the young talent. This is the Bradley Beal team to me because if you take Bradley Beal with Brandon Ingram and Zion, who's averaging 25-7 and seven and just made the all-star team, uh which, by the way, I'm very happy about because it's an all-star game where no one plays defense and just dunks, which is all you want to see people do in the all-star game is do cool dunks, and Zion will do cool dunks. Tangent aside, this is Bradley Beal's best destination to me, and I, if I'm David Griffin, I am calling the Wizards twice a day, morning and night, trying to get this deal done. Yeah, I'm, I, I, yes, yes. Uh, this is why you accumulate these picks. You don't accumulate them to keep accumulating them. You accumulate them to go all in. You throw everything you got at Brad. He, he fits with this team. Um, you go. I think they can match any offer that anyone's gonna get offer. 
um, they should do it. I, I, I think it'd be great for them. Last thing before before we wrap up here. What do you think of the Zion Ingram long term pairing? Because because I like it. I think Ingram is a dynamic wing scorer. He's getting better and better and better, and he will only get better and more efficient as his body fills out more. Zion is a is a one of one. Uh, there are obviously concerns about his long term health, at the weight he's at, and the style of play. Uh, but the numbers he's putting up in comparison to what others have done at this, his age and number of games played is beyond ridiculous that he's averaging 25 and seven and literally like his 60th or 70th career NBA game is just absurd. Uh, what do you make of them long-term? I, I said it before. I don't like BI. I think he doesn't affect the game in any ways. So like everyone says, he's going to fill out like, what are what are we waiting for? Like he's in his what fifth year? Like he's not f- getting any stronger. He's he's, he's I, like he's, is he he's, is he gonna lift more? Like I don't know. Like Katie doesn't lift. I doubt Brandon Ingram lifts. <laughs> he he, um, he will look look. He's only like 23, 20, 24 years old. You go through a lot of physical development and growth from your twenty three to to twenty eight. And Durant's gotten exponentially stronger. It may not look like it but he's gotten exponentially stronger from when he was in Oklahoma City. I just don't think Ingram affects winning. He's got to be a better okay. defender. He's got to be a better passer. Like, sure, he's going to score, but so is Zion. Like, I don't, I don't like that pair. Not, I, I, yeah, don't like it. The reason why I like it is it feels like at this moment in the NBA, and I can only really talk about this moment because, and we can because we weren't alive in the 90s and 80s with, with that era. But right now it does feel like the best teams in the playoffs in moments of the game where it matters the most all have these wing creators that can go get their own shot and hit tough shots and especially hit tough mid-range shots, get to the free throw line, right? And I think Ingram is that guy because he can do all that stuff. It's not being a big thing this year because, as you said, they have to guard someone to make these games competitive at the end or to get into the playoffs, but... They, they won't rely on Zion one-on-one to score in the playoff and have him create his own shot in the last two or three minutes. And as even though I think Chris Middleton is probably better than Ingram right now, I think that he's just a little more aggressive and maybe a, a better bad shot maker than Chris Middleton is. But Chris yeah, Middleton's can, a better player. I think he can also get to the rim yeah. better than Middleton, um, which is just... Like in the playoffs, like getting to the rim, you can draw fouls better. Yeah. Um, but you know, can score at the end of the games with the ball in their hands. Brad Beal, <laughs> Drew. Look, it, it 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 all comes back to Bradley Beal. Like David Griffin, <laughs> make the trade. Th- that may be the title of, of this podcast. David Griffin, m- make the trade. <laughs> Leo. Leo, appreciate you coming on, spending some time with me on the Thursday. I know the Sixers are tipping off soon. Before we go, plug your Twitter account. It's great stuff. The positionless perspective. Uh, wh- what what tag is it on Twitter? What's the handle? And and just a li- and, you know, twenty five seconds on on what's on there. Yeah. So p- the positionless perspective uh, at tppnba tppnba on Twitter. Uh, basically, everything we do is with video. Um, we try to uh, balance video and data together, but everything we do is video, and we're trying to make 
why have our viewers be able to see the game like a coach mm-hmm. and like an NBA coach and see both sides of the game, the numbers and the data and put it together and see what's actually. So when you watch the game, you'll be like, Oh shit. Like I know that play. Like, yeah. Um, oh, look how the is so good in transition. Oh, this is why. So that's what we're trying to do. Go follow us. Uh, appreciate likes and retweets. Awesome. Check it out. If you haven't already, it's, it's really good, really great stuff. Leo, appreciate you coming on as always. Enjoy the Sixers game tonight, and we will touch base soon for, you know, if the Sixers keep keep playing well, we're going to have to have, have you on more. We'll see about that. They need that stretch 4-5 first, but uh, thanks for having me on, Dave. That'll do it for this episode of the Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.